and welcome to the Last Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Baltam Brian Ritchie. How you doing, man? How you doing? Nice to see you. Oh, I'm glad I could finally catch up with you. You've been a busy man. You just got done touring, right? As Sonny Land Slim used to say, the devil's a busy man. We, uh, we did 15,000 miles in the tour bus, and that was too much. It was a little bit too much driving, but we did it. And 30 dates, and nobody got COVID. So that was pretty remarkable also with me coming from Australia and Blaze, the sax player. So we were coming from Australia where there's, especially in Tasmania where we live, there's no COVID. And, um, yeah, so it was interesting to go into the Belly the beast. <laughs> risky, risky area of the United States and survive it with no real complications. You know, bus with anybody, it's a long time, man. Yeah, it was like some sort of an in- initiation or something, but I, I don't know what we're being initiated into. The touring, though, how how the show is with COVID? I, I really haven't talked to a lot of people that have done any touring with COVID right now. Pretty much normal. Um, you know, it's, it's weird to see people wearing masks, but it's good. They're taking care of themselves. Um, yeah, there's a feeling of relief, I guess, people getting live music again. And for us to play, it was similar. Although for me, it was nothing new because I've been playing all along down here in Australia. Online, you've been doing like a, a, a new show. Like- yeah, I did. I did a lot of online. I did an everyday concert for about 525 days. And it was kind of a... That's insane. Yeah, protest kind of... Um, also, example to younger musicians or uninspired musicians, like, you know, you can do this. You, just because we have restrictions doesn't mean our creativity has to stop. So that was part of it. But then I stopped that when I, when I got to the States because it was, what, what's the protest anymore? Now I'm back into the world. Right. I actually just seen it. I'm just curious. It was, was it Room 23. That was at the beginning of of lockdown, and that was my also example to, I guess, young musicians. Like, you don't need a band. You can make music by yourself. Use your creativity. Yeah. Yeah. That was insane. Like, how many times you played it? You almost like a shell or a conch. You're playing drums at the same time, like a little rhythm, and you're gong, and everything (laughs) going on. It was insane. I I had to watch it, like, three times. I'm like, dude's insane. (laughs) Well, it was live too. It was there were there was right. no electronics. It was no drum machine. It was it was just me playing a lot of different instruments. And what I was thinking in my mind was, well, first of all, try to make as much sound as possible at the same time by myself. But sometimes I was splitting up the parts uh, across across time. You know, like like. I was playing one part first and then I would play the other part where normally in a band you'd have everybody playing those parts at the same time. So it's just a different way of, of constructing music. I think you've always had a different way of constructing music than the normal main. You were one of the first players in, in, in Val Films in the 80s when I first heard the first album that had a bass that was playing like lead. That was like probably when the first time and that was fantastic. That was like its own instrument. Usually bass was always in the, in the pocket or, you know what I mean? A good solid thing, but that was, had a lot of lead. Well, my, my philosophy about bass is that 
a good bass player listens to everybody else and then does what's required. You know, so if you're playing in a blues band, you might just be playing doom, 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 something very simple like that. But in the femmes, because uh, Victor's drumming was very sparse and Gordon was like playing an acoustic guitar half the time and not trying to really dominate the sound with the guitar, that left a lot of space for me. I, I used it. We consider, I mean, we consider that we play rock music or even that we play punk rock yeah. but we don't consider ourselves a punk rock band we consider ourselves a jazz and folk uh, kind of roots band yeah. and that's why we also record live usually mm-hmm. and uh, there's improvising as you said and we don't we don't use a set list live so i love that how do you do that how do you like put that Cause i know you're the one who said you do it right every night you just yeah, I just tell the other guys what song's next. Although on this tour, it was kind of funny because Gordon was afraid that that if I would tell him the name of the song, that that I would be spraying like a, a fire hose <laughs> of COVID at him, you know, just in case I got COVID in the lobby of the hotel or something. So instead, I went to the microphone. I had another microphone near my amp and I would and he didn't want me to tell the names of the songs. So I made like a Chinese menu with all the songs. <laughs> and then I would go to the other microphone and say, number 17. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. It was bizarre. But I was still constructing the set in real time. But you do have some old standards you have to do, right? So you kind of... Yeah. How do you manipulate that so you make sure you don't forget? Also, you're like, oh, I got so carried up. You got, we got some new albums out. You got some new good stuff out. I mean, step back for a second. You guys have always put out really good albums. You know, it's because you had one album everyone talks about. Every album of yours has consistently, I love them. They've always gotten, not even better, but always a different, a new flavor. And it always is strong. But as an artist, everyone wants to hear that. It's their glory years. A lot of people, that was their years. You know, that first album, it was a one thing for them. And they get old and they remember that album. But you have a whole catalog of really great music that you have to divvy up. Yeah, we we like playing the, uh, the the songs from the first album and also from Hallowed Ground. We really like that material ourselves, so we don't have no, have no problem playing it. Well, I mean, and, a problem might just be because you have other stuff you want to play because as an artist, you probably have a lot of material to choose. Well, we do, and we we basically play something from, from every album every night. So that's... Um, it's a challenge, but but we can do it. You've done well. You do it well. I, I like the fact you guys are still doing new music too. It's 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 cool. What's interesting is you. How do you guys write songs? Is it because I know your bass plays a lot of lead, but it doesn't look like you're writing a lot of the music with with Gordon, right? Because um, I know you have a lot of solo stuff. So I'm kind of understanding not too much the, the dynamic of you two. I'm not trying to get, get there, but like your songwriting feels like you have so much music just pouring out of you, and, and your bass plays such a, a prominent part in also the femmes music. But I don't see you I don't a lot of credit for a lot of the songs. So I don't know if it's kind of how it's written. Well, Gordon comes with a basic song structure and basic song. Mm-hmm. And then we listen to it and almost immediately start playing whatever we feel like. So at that point, it becomes collaborative. Mm-hmm. So really, if you listen to the recording and just if you want to focus on the drums, that's what you know, John Sparrow is our drummer now. So that's what John wanted to play. You know, I might give him a few pointers once in a while, but, and then what I want to play, I play. 
what Gordon wants to do, he does. So other than, you know, sometimes we might say, okay, let's do two choruses instead of one, or, you know, here's where the solo goes. It's all pretty straightforward. When you write stuff, because you have a lot of solo albums out, and you've worked with some other bands, which is pretty also. Recently, it looks like you haven't released anything, but I'm sure you're, you're still making music. How are you going to, are you still going to? Well, I, I do a lot of gigs. You know, it's, it is a little bit, um, well, it's a, it's a Pyrrhic victory to release an album nowadays because you can't sell them. Nobody pays for them. Right. You, you know, there's no point in pressing up hundreds of thousands of copies of something that's not going to sell. And, you know, so that, that takes a little bit of the, of the thrill out of it. So I just release stuff online or just, I just put stuff out when I want to, or like I did with my Corona concert series. That was, to me, that was more interesting than putting out a, a recording because it was live and it was in real time. Shakuhachi, Shakuhachi Japanese bamboo flute. How did you get into that? It's beautiful. I watched you play it too. <laughs> it's a it's a Buddhist instrument, and I was doing um, I was doing like sitting meditation zazen, and then I read in the New York Times, oh check out this uh, meditation flute at the flute convention in Times Square. So I went to Times Square, and they had a flute a flute convention of flutes from all over the world. And I tried it out and got into it. Um, and my teacher actually gave me a gave me a business card and said, "Hey, give me a call if you want to learn how to play that." So I did, and then that was about twenty five years ago, and I've been playing it since then. And you've actually been a, uh, well as a teacher, like is it because you're a license? Like, what is it? Can it be, you earn the title of teacher? Yeah, it's uh, they call it call you a shihan, which means master, but it doesn't. Master is a little bit of a pretentious term, but it does mean teacher, basically. And yeah, so you have to get a license to do that. It's not like in Western music where you have to keep one lesson ahead of your pupils. <laughs> you know, we we actually have to know something before we can teach it. Yeah, I still teach it um, here in Tasmania, face to face with some students. I have a no COVID. That's incredible. Well, it's an island, so they they kept it out. But it'll be coming soon because we're opening the borders on December 15th. So after that, it'll be here. But hopefully it won't proliferate as much as it did in Europe or the States. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I'm the music curator at MONA, which is Museum of Old and New Art in Tasmania. And that means we do hundreds of musical performances a year on site at the museum. And I also, um, yeah, curate a music festival, which happens every January called Mona Foma. It's been going on for 15 years now. So uh, in January will be the 14th, yeah, 14th edition of the festival. And it regularly wins the Best Music Festival in Australia award. And I won't disagree with that assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, over the years, we've had people like uh, Nick Cave, John Cale, uh, Dresden Dolls. uh, Well, you had the drummer for a while. 
Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we have a mixture of about one you in a in a good year, it's one third international artists, one third Australian and one third uh, Tasmanian. But obviously, we're focusing more on on local artists now because we can't get people into the country. Yeah, I think it's good. I think the other question I actually had one for you. So the United States has its own view on music and like skills was popular. It seems like it's very black and white. When other bands that, you know, tour like Europe and other places, how has the reception been for other albums of yours? And like, do you have other strongholds in other parts of the world? You know, like America's hot and cold at times. And a lot of the bands can just tour everywhere, but America, because, you know, it depends what the flavor is. And it's because it's America, I live here. But you, you follow what I'm saying? It's, it's the temperature of music that day. Well, Australia is, is our biggest market outside of the United States. And that's like so obvious that that's one of the reasons why I even live here. Um, <laughs> Europe, we have not concentrated on it lately because, um, well, we've been quite successful there over the years, but we just haven't been there recently. Uh, so hopefully that'll be something that'll be coming back. We we sold out 10,000-seat uh, arenas in South Africa. We haven't been to South America. We haven't been yeah. much to Asia, just a little bit. So there's even after 40 years of the band, we still have some places that we could probably stand to go to. I would think that would be the more fun part than being in a bus for 15,000 miles. <laughs> the places you go like a vacation, you know, kind of plan it like a vacation and play a couple of gigs and have a few days. And the, well, hopefully, the, the culture. Hopefully we'll have that possibility soon. So for people don't know, so the concert is in January, right? You're saying? Yeah. Uh, festival, yeah. Oh, sorry. Is there and, and the Fems will be touring next year? We'll be touring next year. Um, for the, the Mona Foma website, yeah. it's www.mofo.net.au. Excellent. All right, man. Brian, thank you for being on the show and giving some time. Thanks, Sean. All right, great. Okay, thank you. Bye.